Good morning. I'm out of practice, <laughs> but I thank you for the opportunity for your being here today. Most of us like being together with other people. It gives us support. It gives us security, approval, and encouragement. Now, we can live our lives and practice our faith in isolation. Each of us has an individual walk with God. We'll stand before him all by ourselves and give an account for our lives. But having acknowledged all that individuality, we have opportunities and we have responsibilities together. Think about how Luke described the first group of Christians in Acts 2, verse 44, he noted that all who believed were together. They were together. And the surrounding verses show that they were together in worship, in sharing, caring, and taking some of their meals together. And so this brings before us our subject today, and that is some gatherings, a couple of gatherings that need our attention, some great gatherings as a matter of fact. And I think it is especially appropriate to think about these two great gatherings at the outset of this year. The first one, gathering to worship the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer refers to our meeting together in verse 25 or our gathering so let's put it in context. I'd like to read from Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, there's our word, gathering, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews sets before readers a new and living way that Jesus opened for us by his death on the cross. And he mentioned in this new and living way we have a great priest over the house of God. So since we have a new and living way made possible by Jesus, and since he is our great high priest, the writer calls for some focused and significant actions. You'll see them beginning at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now I want you to notice with me several features of this paragraph that serve to highlight believers together. Notice the address in verse 19. His address is to the group. He says, therefore, brothers, and the implication is brothers and sisters. So his address is to the group. 
His pronouns, notice his pronouns, they're plural. We, us, and our. He says at verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he opened for us. We have a great high priest over the house of God. So his pronouns are plural. And then his exhortations are for what we do together. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how to stir up one another. And so this togetherness makes the concern that he expresses in verse 25 all the more serious. Not neglecting our gathering as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Not neglecting our meeting together. So this togetherness, the actions to take toward one another and the encouragement that we give to each other, this togetherness does not occur when we neglect our gathering. You see, neglecting meeting together impacts ourselves and impacts one another. And so the writer instructs, listen to him, to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And the rest of that says, not neglecting our coming together. So I wonder if this next part of the statement is directly related. Are the loving good works that he calls for none other than meeting together and encouraging each other? So step back from that and see what the writer of Hebrews does. He was concerned enough to say directly to the group to whom he was writing, he said it in so many words, don't neglect meeting together, but encouraging one another. With that concern before us from God's holy word, I want to do that today. Please consider with me some applications. You know, the gathering we're in today, as we are in every Sunday, is both a privilege and a responsibility. It's a privilege because Jesus made it possible. He was the one who inaugurated the new and living way. He opened it for us that we might have the privilege to enter through him. And it's a privilege because he's the great high priest over the house of God. We are his house and he is our great high priest and he opened the way we have a privilege to enter through him. He sacrificed for God's house and now he reigns over the house. So it's a privilege because of Jesus but it's also a responsibility because it has potential and power. There's potential and power in coming together. In assembling together, we can encourage one another in various ways that just can't happen if we don't gather. So the first specific application that I want to make today is related to COVID. You know, at one point, I thought I would never have to say that word again. And I thought I would never have to address the topic again. But it seems to me that it's ha having lingering effects even in our connection with our gathering. And so let me get some facts before us. Not that I have to remind us of these things, but just I think I need to get them before us. For several months, COVID completely disrupted and destroyed our gathering together. We were following the... the uh, ruling of the authorities and we did what we felt like we needed to do but it completely disrupted and destroyed our gathering first none of us gathered we worshiped by means of live streaming and how thankful we are for that option that it was available 
next, when we did come back together, we kept our distance and we wore a mask and we didn't linger to talk afterwards and have fellowship. And little by little, these restrictions diminished, for which we're, we're thankful. But COVID brought options to our attention that impact us to this day. In particular, live streaming, when we had to do it, enforced by the authorities, caused some to see, I think, worship as a matter of convenience through that live streaming. Some people like the stay at home in your pajamas mode, and they don't bother together with the church. But there's something very dangerous going on there. It cuts people off from the important aspects of our coming together. Let me share with you some study that was done at the University of Wisconsin that focused on anxiety and how it was affected by the presence of another person. So here's what happened. A person's brain was being imaged during this study as he or she was shocked in a way to simulate anxiety. The person who was shocked was placed in three different situations. One, they were alone. Two, they were holding the hand of somebody they didn't know. And three, they were holding the hand of somebody who was a loved one, a person of their family or a friend. Well, <clears throat> the shocked person was markedly different when their hand was being held by somebody that was a family member or friend. It showed a marked difference. The shocked person was calmer. The anxiety was markedly soothed when the connection with a loved one was made. Now the point I want to make of that study is the tremendous value of being with other people, not isolating ourselves from fellowship of believers. The writer of Hebrews says that. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Don't forsake your gathering. The design of live streaming was never for the sake of convenience. It was for people who cannot come, who cannot gather with others. Some people used the live streaming regularly of necessity and were happy to provide it. And we've made improvements in it and we've upgraded it for that reason. And I want those people to understand because there's some listening today that we are glad to do that. But it is for the sick and shut in and for those who cannot assemble, maybe those in other parts of the world who need to watch. But his purpose was never for convenience. Technically speaking, watching live stream can be worship. But several dimensions of worship are absent and the potential for distraction is enormous. It's quite possible that somebody worshiping by means of live streaming, when they could gather with fellow Christians, is doing exactly what the writer of Hebrews said don't do, and that is neglecting our meeting together. And then there might be what we could call incidental live streaming that goes something like this. You know, I woke up late Sunday morning, the car didn't have enough gas, I had trouble getting the kids up and to get them going. It became clear that we were going to be late, so we just planned a live stream today 
Oh, we didn't miss worship, but incidentally, we did it at home. Without realizing what is really going on, something like this can happen like once a month, which means you miss about a fourth of the time the church is gathered for worship, which means missing the significant dimensions of our coming together. Now, I want you to understand what's going on. I'm not beating up on people who worship by means of live streaming. It's technology that has definite benefits. But my purpose is to stir us to see what might be happening and the effects that it may have on our faith and on our fellowship. We need to be concerned about that. Next, I want to say some things to members who by choice and decision are not coming to our 9.15 a.m. worship. Our attendance numbers indicate that about 75 members don't come to that 9.15 worship period. Now again, I want to remind us of some things to set this in its context. I remind us that we spent six months a while back trying out options for our worship time, searching for the best combination for Casaberry Church. The elders talked and listened and talked and prayed, and we set times that took into consideration members' thoughts and ideas, and we tried to respect people's suggestions. And the preachers spent a considerable amount of time coordinating the worship periods, making a singular point that flows from the 9.15 to the 11 o'clock service, or to have a certain theme they want to emphasize. So what happens is to miss the 9.15 is to get only half the point or half the theme. Now those who have heard my sermons for a number of years know I don't preach very many come-to-church sermons. I preach a lot more love the Lord sermons and follow Jesus sermons. But let's face the fact that coming to church, or more precisely coming together as the church to worship, would be the better way to put that, is a dimension of loving the Lord and following Jesus. The writer of Hebrews noted that in his day, he saw, as we see in our day, people forsaking this gathering. And people have all sorts of excuses and explanations and reasons and rationalizations. And when we go through all that and the dust settles, each of us needs to examine our hearts and ask ourselves, am I forsaking Christians gathering for worship? The writer of Hebrews wrote urging believers not to do that. And with concern and love, that's what I'm doing today for Casterbury Church. The fact is that what brings us together one time should bring us together every time. People ask sometimes the question, is it a sin to miss church? Well, it's possible that that question is phrased in such a way that it will result in making an excuse or rationalization. There is a better question to ask, a question that probes deeper and discerns more. And that question is, why do I not assemble? Why do I not assemble? I would say you answer that question honestly and forthrightly and you'll know if your decision not to come to church is sin or not. What it comes down to, to as most things are, is a decision. It comes down to a decision. 
I want to share with you something I wrote several years ago in an Ethiopian journal taken from one of the trips that I had. We go to an Ethiopian village to teach and preach. It's a weekday. People have been informed about the approximate time of our arrival. People are typically present and waiting, and others will come as the day goes on. Some have taken a day off from work, which means no pay for people already poor. Some have traveled many miles and many hours to be present. And by traveling, I mean walking. It's not unusual for people to walk six to eight hours to this assembly. They sit on wooden benches with no backs or mats on the floor or just on the ground. And then, after we teach for a few hours, they ask if we can teach more and stay longer. And here we are in our situation. Air-conditioned and heated cars to drive, climate-controlled buildings to meet in, padded pews to sit in, and some believers don't come consistently and persistently. Sometimes any little inconvenience, any slight difficulty, any discomfort, and people choose not to come. Forgive me if I've overstated the case, but there's something wrong with that picture, and I think we all see it. It may be that 9.15 is too early or three hours is too long or it's too much for kids, but the fact is, what is at work is choices, not circumstances. Let's face it. What is at work is really not time or length or kids. It's a decision. People in our culture have the time, the ability, the resources to do whatever we want to do. And herein is the point. Have we decided to gather with Christians regularly, enthusiastically, diligently to worship God? Well, I told you at the beginning there were two gatherings, and so I need to get to the other one just briefly. We've talked about only one. What about the other one? Well, there is a gathering to be with the Lord. The same word. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Listen. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, Paul writes, and our being gathered together to him. Some were saying at that time that the day of the Lord had not come, that the day of the Lord had already come. And Paul was writing to say that it had not come. It will, he says, but it hasn't. And believers shouldn't be disturbed and shouldn't be deceived. But I want you to notice with me a couple of dimensions of this gathering to be with the Lord. One, we gather with the saints. Paul describes it in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13, the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He describes it again in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who believed. Now, we don't know everything we would like to know about this great day. We can ask a lot of questions that the Bible just doesn't answer. But these statements describe at least the gathering of all the saints on that day. Now, our physical ties won't be exactly the same. Jesus said there'll be no marrying or giving in marriage. But that doesn't mean there'll be no identity or recognition. Check out Matthew 22. God is still the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob even after they had died. The general picture of Scripture 
is the gathering of the Lord and all the saints. All the saints of all the ages. That's quite a gathering, I'd say. The other part of it is, it's a gathering with the Lord. It's a gathering with the saints and it's a gathering with the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul refers to our gathering together to him. Think about that. The Savior and the saved. The Savior and the saved will be together. Believers will realize the full implications of what it means to be his and to be saved by him. We're not just saved from sin. We're saved to heaven to be with our Lord. Think about 1 Thessalonians 4. It's a familiar passage, 15 to 17. He's, he talks about those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, that they will come with him, the text says. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Think about that. The people who have fallen asleep will be with him those who are alive will be raised to be with them and everybody will be with the Lord. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. What a gathering that will be. I want to be in it, don't you? I don't want to miss it. I don't think you do either. So what I brought before us today are two great gatherings. So let me take just a moment to package that together for us before I finish. Do you see how one relates to the other? If in Hebrews 10, 25, the day drawing near, and the English Standard Version capitalizes the word day, if the day drawing near means the last great day, the writer connects the two. Don't forsake this gathering, he says, so you can encourage one another, and all the more as you see the final gathering approaching. So to package them together, the gathering here and now, what we're in this morning, points us toward the gathering there and then. The one here and now points us to the one there and then. The gathering on earth anticipates the gathering in heaven. The one in heaven consummates the one on earth. Think of that day, the gathering with the Lord on that day and how our gathering here impacts and relates to that. I think some of this is captured by these lyrics that I close with this morning. When the dreams of life are shattered and the body wastes away, when all dignity is abandoned and the, one who care, the ones who care with broken hearts plead for mercy, but it seems that mercy hides its face. That's when heaven pierces through the clouds of darkness and the glory of the Father shines from heaven's open door and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father with a warm embrace gives welcome 
and the angels are rejoicing. And the Father with a voice like rushing wind says all heaven has been waiting. Enter in, enter in, enter in. I think a great resolution for 2023 is let's decide to be with him now so we can be with him then in every possible way so we can hear him say enter in. So would you do something with me? Let's stand and sing and encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. Let's do that right now.